Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and journal information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Barnish. Dr. Barnish is the Head of Genetics and Nutrition for Revive Clinics, who are global leaders in doctor-led preventative health services. He is a member of the Royal College of General Practitioners and has a background in undergraduate biomedical science and genetic principles. Dr. Barnish's career with Revive Global developed from a passion and drive to forge a way for preventative health to become a medical specialty. Dr. Barnish was appointed as Revive's lead global trainer within three months of joining the company and was responsible for training all new Revive Global clinics and staff. He founded the Revive Academy in 2017 for continued learning and gold standard practice globally in these fields. In this episode, we focus on IV therapy and nutrition. In particular, the history of IV therapy, the different options available, how they work, the benefits they can provide and how they fit into the rapidly developing anti-aging industry. Morning guys. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. You all right? Very good. And you've got fantastic sound quality. Well done. I'm Michael. Perfect. How are you? It's a good start. I've got to say, you look about um, 30 years younger than your photo. You look like you're about 12 years old. I'm just going to say that so this IV stuff what, must be working. Yeah, I practice what I preach, to be fair. Where are you based um, at the moment? You're at home? Uh, yeah, I'm just at uh, home uh, in Manchester uh, in the UK. So, where uh, in Manchester. Yeah. I studied in Manchester for eight years. Uh, I'm actually in Eccles, um, which is one of the sort of uh, little towns outside of Manchester. Um, we're in a tier two lockdown in the UK, so uh, oh, we're trying right. to be encouraged to work from home as much as possible. So, What's tier two? To explain that. Uh, tier two means uh, the national rules apply, which is the 10 p.m. curfew and no more than a group of six. Um, but actually, the tier two means there's an added rule where um, that there's no your group of six has to be from the same household. You can't mix from others. So... Um, oh, wow. We're in a three-tier system here in the UK now. Um, Jeez. Not, and how's that, affecting, how's that affecting business for you? And, take, and client flow, yeah. I think um, in terms of the IV industry, business is booming. I think people are really waking up to how health, how important their health is, yeah. uh, particularly uh, preventing um, you know severe disease and things like that, not just from a COVID point of view, but you know people are really waking up to that um to, to that sort of uh, yeah. uh, mindset, which is great um, in terms of for me as a doctor who uh, loves uh, internal medicine. But you yeah. know, in terms of uh, we, we've seen a big growth actually post yeah. lockdowns, and uh, and that's probably because people are going uh, forward there. Of all the TV commercials and public health annou- announcements that were coming out, telling us you know stay away from you know keep your distance and wipe down all your surfaces and wear a mask. I, I could be wrong. Maybe this is out there, but I just didn't see it. But I never saw any health advice saying, get seven, eight hours sleep a night, drink two liters of water, look at your vitamin D, um, what are you eating, You know, reduce the stress in your life. Like I didn't see any of that stuff. But maybe, it, did you see it over in the UK? Um, I, I wrote it. <laughs> <Whether> it <laughs> I didn't see I didn't see sort of a national um, 
move. You know, I was certainly putting things on my uh, personal profile, but you know, there's there's this whole gap, I think, on prevention mm. of disease, and I think you know, certainly in the UK, it's a really uh, we have the NHS, it's free healthcare. Um, you know, we are we're a great institution of health. Um, but we're also very underfunded and people are struggling with waiting times and issues uh, within the NHS. And I, I think a big shift towards actually the free stuff, like getting enough sleep at night and really building yeah. and, and supporting people's health knowledge and education uh, would actually uh, make a big difference to a free healthcare system like the NHS. Yeah, it's a long-term plan though, right? Because yeah. you know you need to teach people new habits and educate them on how to look after themselves and there's obviously politics and money at play too. So it's a very complex uh, problem to fix, but I guess that's not what we're here to, what we're here to talk about today because that yeah. could be a whole other podcast <laughs> in itself. So I'll, I'll let Jake do a little proper introduction for you so everyone knows who you are. So welcome, Dr. Michael Barnish. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, so Michael, I originally came across you, I think, when I was chatting to Jean Creel many years ago and I was just sort of playing around on her website and you used to work with her i think it's her clinic in orderly edge or chester i'm kind of got a bit lost yeah it's orderly edge in cheshire okay yeah. perfect fine and so you were originally trained in internal medicine so so how have you ended up here tell us your story of how you're now almost a you know a functional medical doctor yeah and uh you know it's been a, a bit of a roller coaster um, i started out in the nhs um actually was in general practice uh, training program but sort of uh, throwing sort of medications at people and saying in seven minutes, you know, do a little bit of this, do a little bit of that, we'll do a blood test, we'll throw this medication at you and hope for the best. It was quite frustrating for me. You know, I, I'm very interested in human physiology. I'm very, you know, I've had personal experiences where I, uh, you know, postgraduately went really in depth with nutrition and physiology uh, to to help relatives with cancer and things like that. So I had that in the background. I was frustrated with the amount of time I had uh, in the NHS to fix problems. And really that led me into functional medicine route. I also had the other side, which was my creative side. And that's that's how I led, uh, that's how I ended up with uh, Jean Kiel in, uh, in Cheshire um, because I practiced aesthetics there as well. And that was my sort of creative uh, outlet um, because it's practicing medicine, it's very practical. Um, but it's also that artistry um, to to get it right as well for your patients. So um, there was that sort of two uh, uh, two pronged direction that I went in, and eventually I just found that I was doing more and more functional medicine, really, really loving it, really reversing disease, helping people um, with their lives, and you know using things like genetics and IV therapy, which we're talking about today, uh, to really understand my patients, understand their physiolog uh, physiology. Uh, blood surveillance, uh, hormone surveillance, you know, and putting it all together and really figuring out what the solutions are. And often the solutions aren't actually that exciting or that dramatic. They're, they're nutritional, they're lifestyle changes. And if people follow the advice, you tend to get incredible outcomes. And that really satisfies me as a doctor. You know, I want happy, healthy patients. Um, and, you know, from there, I've sort of really being more interested in the longevity aspects now and the, and really preventing disease, not just reversing it and, and halting it in its tracks or managing it better. Now, being a, a holistic podcast, you're not our first functional doctor. We've had at least two, but can you just explain what it 
is because I don't know why I feel like a lot of people who have trained in traditional medicine, including myself many years ago, I was a little bit skeptical of the whole thing. So how did you retrain yourself? And, and, you know, is there a formal qualification? Are you doing postgraduate, you know, degrees or diplomas or how does it work? Yeah. So it's a, it's a good question actually, because um, I often ask a lot of these questions myself (laughs) in terms of, who am I? What specialty do I operate in? You know, there isn't actually a, you know, a, a consensus globally on this sort of specialty. I think some people call it integrative medicine. Some people call it functional medicine. Some people call it preventative medicine. There's, there's, it, it sort of spans a lot of things there. And, you know, then there's the subspecialties in, in the genetics aspect, IV therapy and things like that. And I think there isn't a global consensus and that that really does make it more challenging for doctors to make that leap. And, and also, I think that's why people are skeptical within medicine because they're like, oh, well, I've not heard of that before or we've not been taught that before. A lot of my research uh, postgraduate was self-taught, but you know there are, uh, there are courses out there um, in functional medicine, mainly in the US. I think they're very US-centric. Um, they offer qualifications, but not just to doctors, but all, all um, medical professionals and also uh, people like nutritionists, dietitians and things that really want to go that next level with their care. But, you know, in terms of uh, what we do, it, it's because it's not conventional. It's not taught within the syllabus of medical school. If it was, we'd be there for twice as long, probably. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's therefore, you know, controversial a little bit when a doctor sort of leaves traditional practice and goes uh, sort of more towards the functional side of it and uh, you know I, I do ask that I, I always think what specialty am I <laughs> am I uh, you know where where do I lie but ultimately I see patients I make them better um, and I think you know whatever tools you use whatever investigations you do whatever approach you go for you know it, it's as, as long as it works and it's safe and it's um and you get results for patients then i don't think it really matters what it's called um but, but there you go mm. i was curious as to um the effect that going back and studying things like nutrition and the postgraduate self-study that you've done what was it like sort of reading these things and learning all these concepts you know with i guess when you said you've been studied the traditional path of medicine where you're learning about medicines and surgery and anatomy and all those sorts of things then to be confronted with this whole other body of knowledge, did it was it sort of confronting, or does it did it did it gave you some advantages in some way having that medical knowledge to sort of you know tease out the the crap from from real? I'm going to add, to yeah, that I mean as well. Sorry, Michael. And did your family and friends think you're mental? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually uh, the first to go to university in my family, let alone uh, go to medical school. So. They were, me and my, my nana, even my, my grandma, uh, even now, <laughs> and, do you not want to still be a GP? <laughs> you know, she's still questioning me, despite me, you know, um, training doctors all over the world in what we do and, uh, you know, having a quite a successful career. She still, still like wants me to go back to uh, my hometown and practice, <laughs> being a general practitioner. But, um, yeah, they did think I was mental. But going back to David's question, I think, Absolutely, you do need that foundation in, in medicine. I really found that extremely useful. You know, you scrutinize things. Um, what I do find, though, is that there are bits missing from that. So 
you know, we're all about evidence-based uh, medicine practice in conventional um, circles. And absolutely, we should be uh, very evidence-based. But what I've found over the years is there is definitely a selection bias of what gets a randomized control trial and therefore what gets evidence. So, you know, fine, it's great that we're evidence-based uh, practice, but there are gaps there. And I think that's one thing that I've found. Um, in terms of self-study, you know, once I delved into something, I opened up another box, a Pandora's box of another 10 questions and then I had to go and find those 10 questions. And then, you know, it, it's perpetual. And actually at the moment, you know, for the last few years, I've I've been reading two different books on the go, one one uh, physical, one audio when I'm in the car and things like that. And I just there's too much to learn, uh, particularly around uh, some of the exciting science um in terms of really disease reversal and uh, regenerative medicine, longevity medicine. So, you know, I make a commitment to myself that I, I try to stay up to date as possible with the science. Um, I understand that there is some selection bias out there in the world, but I also appreciate that there has to be some uh, level of evidence there as well. And I think, you know, it, it's, um, it's a hard world to navigate in this, this sort of field. There's some uh, parallels with aesthetics medicine and, you know, you, you've worked in aesthetics yourself. I mean, there's no framework, there's no syllabus, there's no formal qualification. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff we do is quite anecdotal. We know it works because people are happy and, and there are no significant side effects. But yeah, so I, I, I feel like you do. I still don't know what to call myself. Am I a cosmetic doctor? Am I a facial aesthetic injector? You know, <laughs> I don't really know what I am half the time, but I know it works. I think, yeah, exactly. We know it works. And also, I think we're, we're finding, and well, I've certainly found in the last few years, that there is a shift, that there's uh, podcasts like this, there's groups, there's communities building to help each other now. And, you know, um, it's, it's certainly in the aesthetic world, it can be a little bit, um, you know, of a, a let's say, um, people really don't get on with each other sometimes, and there's some war between uh uh, aesthetic practitioners certainly in the bit. UK but um, you know what, what I'm finding is in the last few years there's a lot more collaboration as well and a lot more community building up and I think that's a very good thing um, it can only be a good thing and I'm seeing it as well within the IV industry and within um, the sort of uh, functional side of things as well yeah so I guess getting on to um, your role and, and what you do at, for Revive Clinics. Um, your official role or title is Head of Nutrition and Genetics. So I guess maybe tell us a little about what Revive Clinic it is and what your role is there. Yeah, so uh, Revive are a global company. They operate in uh, 90 clinic locations across 40 countries. Um, we have a franchise model type uh, situation and I've been with Revive for five years. I'm their UK medical director, but also their head of genetics and nutrition, which uh, basically means that I lead the team in terms of education and training uh, for our genetic products and really linking them into our nutritional solutions because um, that's what we specialize in at Revive. We're basically, um, we're, uh, you know, specialize in global um solutions for nutrition that's personalized uh, so it's just really about um uh, training education uh leading uh the research and development in that area as well uh so it's it's quite a really uh it, it's a very very uh varied role let's say and i really love it can i ask about revive i mean 
it's probably certainly one of the better branded companies that I've seen that offer these types of treatments. But how long have they been around and, and you know, what's their structure and, and who started Revive? Yeah, so Revive was actually founded by four US doctors in 2012. And they opened their first clinic in Miami uh, and it was four emergency room doctors that saw the, the value really of IV therapy. But they also um, had experience with both Eastern and Western medical um, sort of structures. And, you know, pre uh, 10 years ago, IV therapy was really for high net worth individuals, celebrities uh, that were having them with their personal doctors. In fact, IV therapy has probably been going since the 1930s, um, just behind the scenes a lot more. And they saw an opportunity. They saw the value of hydrating someone um, and adding some uh, nutrition in there uh, and wanted to bring it to, to um, the main stage. And they opened the first clinic in Miami in 2012. And then Revive Global was formed the following year. And we opened in the UK uh, by 2014. And that's just been a fast growth. Um, I think the reason why Revive, our model is a franchise model. Um, and I think the reason why it seems to be one of the better brands out there is because we really, really focus on medical safety. You know, our infusions are laboratory tested for endotoxin formation, particulate formation, pH. Um, we do a lot of R&D. Uh, we really... Um, you know, make sure we work with the laboratories and pharmacies to make sure that the infusions are safe and effective as well. Um, you know, it's one of our key uh, uniqueness, uh, really, because a lot of people just throw a little bit of ingredients here and there, not really thinking about those things. Uh, and that's why we've, you know, we've done so many treatments, probably over a million now uh, globally, uh, with very, very little in the way of adverse side effects. So. Mm. That's excellent. And we're talking today about mainly uh, IV, but we wanted to, I mean, I was looking through your website and I was just blown away with all the stuff that you guys are doing in terms of genetics. So I think we're probably going to run out of time today to cover that as well, but I'm, I'm sure that Jake would love to have you back as well to discuss that as well. 100%. Um, so in terms of sedation, I mean, not sedation, gosh, um, IV. Maybe they feel sedated. Uh, nice and relaxed. Uh, but anyway, um, in terms of uh, IV, this is not a new concept. It's been around for a really, really long time. I mean, I think Jake used to work at a clinic in, was it was it in Sydney when you were working with people with hangovers and things like that? It's, it's I, not a new I, concept. I, I'm not new to this concept. I've worked at two clinics. Um, one was focused on hydration, let's put it that way. And one was focused on holistic wellness and I was, was doing injectables at the same place. So yeah, it's interesting. Like I never felt, I mean, I never felt like I was doing anything wrong. Of course. I mean, it was a simple enough treatment and we didn't do anything. I think that Revive was doing in terms of genetics and blood tests and everything else. But it seems to be a specialty that some clinics sort of treat as a bit of a novelty Whereas obviously Revive has taken it as like a, you know, a, a science in itself. Mm. So I think that's where the controversy comes in. Some, sometimes it's used as a bit of a, a pick-me-up after a night out and you see sort of mobile services going around to hotels and it's a bit yeah. sort of tacky and ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I think your company is completely the opposite. So hopefully um, you can sort of paint a better picture than, than what I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think... You know, you know, there are so many clinics out there that do do the uh, techie side of IV, you know, your hangovers, 
particularly in places like Vegas with the yeah. hangover buses and things like that. Oh, and, buses. You know, yeah. They come to your yeah, hotel, yeah, they pick you up. Bus. When are yeah. we going? Yeah. <laughs> What's it called? Um, <laughs> I think it's called Hangover Heaven or something like that. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah and they I turn up that, to your... Yeah. I think you need uh, an IV when you're in Vegas, yeah. <laughs> actually, in my experience. Yeah, um, they just come to but, your hotel, yeah, and just throw you in the bus yeah. and then go and pick up the next person and you're just all there in, <laughs> in the bus getting getting hydrated. It's crazy, you know, isn't it's, it? It's, it's part of the uh, Vegas experience, I think. And actually, we do have free clinics in Vegas. Um, and you can imagine that um, our sort of global model is very different in that town than uh, yes. everywhere else because of the transient uh, transient nature of the patients yeah. and also the need of the patients. Um, but, you know, you, you do get that. And that's fine. You know, there's a there's a demand for that. As long as it's done safely, I'm, I'm quite happy um, yeah. that people have that option. Um, what we're seeing is that, you know, people using it as an adjunct to that other services. So, mm. you know, as a functional medicine doctor, which, you know, we, we sort of operate in revive and really try and reverse diseases and help people uh, manage their symptoms. Uh, we can either, you know, we, uh, you know, I even use IVs to manage cold and flu symptoms. So they actually have symptom relief plus the vitamins, plus the fluids. So they feel a lot better. So there are other ways of doing IV therapy as well outside of uh, your hangover. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I'm seeing a lot of aesthetic. We have a lot of aesthetic clinic franchises that ultimately, um, you know, really uh, are using IVs alongside what they're doing to really help with their skin uh, texture, tones, uh, to, to complement their services. Uh, we see a lot of um, a lot of these machines now that uh, like uh, the cool sculpting machines and things like that. You know, people are injecting with lipotropic uh, injections to help uh, speed up fat loss and things like that. So there's lots of um, ways to uh, sort of marry them. Uh, it's uh, IV therapy and, and nutritional therapy um, that isn't oral uh, with lots of other services. So we do see a lot of people operating it. And I think businesses tend to either go all in and really um, get there or they'll have that just gimmicky one or do you want to try a, a drip today? Really, um, you know, it's, it's not very often that I would promote just what a one-off infusion unless you had a cold or flu or something like that. Um, you know, really, if you're having IV therapy, it's for a reason. There's a symptom there or there is a disease that obviously is processed. And, you know, one-off isn't going to do very much. It's like taking one vitamin C tablet. If you think about it, you know, IV is just supplementation. People are sold on supplementation. You know, they it's very common for people to supplement. IV is just a different way of doing it. It bypasses the rules of the gut. So, uh, you know, we, we're really, um, we can go higher with the doses. We can play around um, a little bit easier. And we can do things faster for people. I think people want more convenient, more faster, uh, an easier approach to things. And um, when it's done safely, uh, you know, it can be very, very effective. Mm. When it comes to like vitamins and minerals and things like that, which people take traditionally through a tablet form, you're offering it in, in an IV. What, what's the difference? I mean, I'm more asking, I guess, from like a layperson's perspective, what the difference would be, why you'd want to do it intravenously rather than take the tablet. Is it more effective or I guess just take us through the reasons why? Yeah, so a, uh, I think the, the clearest thing is that you're getting 100% absorption into the blood because it's going straight into your bloodstream. When you take something orally, you the sort of absorption rate, depending on what uh, nutrient we're talking about, is probably up to 50%. Um, so 
you know, you, you're, first of all, you've got the better absorption. The second thing is, um, you know, when we give it IV, there's not that competition between nutrients as well. So, um, again, the gut has uh, transporter channels for certain minerals and uh, nutrients, and they compete with each other as well. So when they're taken alongside each other, there's competition there. There's limits in the gut as well. So the gut actually stops us absorbing more than sort of 500 milligrams of vitamin C at a time. So that's called bioavailability of the gut. Um, and it's sort of there with the gut's rules and how it's formed. But giving IV can bypass that. And then there's lots of conditions like inflammation in the um, in the gastrointestinal tract. Um, you know, there's people that can't abs uh, actually absorb certain nutrients like B12. So these people really benefit from uh, going that, uh, you know, doing it in a different route, basically bypassing the problem. And, you know, we live in a, we're, we're all eating quite standard Western diets around the world now. And I think there's a lot of more, more inflammation in the gut. Uh, absorption is slower. And particularly if you've got a disease like Crohn's or uh, irritable, even irritable bowel disease, you're going to um, have limitations there. I'm going to not challenge you because I don't have the data, <laughs> but you said 100% absorption from the blood. Is it 100% absorbed or are you just saying that 100% is obviously delivered to the blood? Yeah. Yeah, 100% is delivered to the blood. Um, yeah. But therefore, you've got more chance of that higher dose being pushed into the cells as well. Uh, but it's not 100% absorption. You are going to wee some of it out, absolutely. Um, yeah. But the thing is, it's about giving your body the opportunity to absorb as much as possible in, in as quick a time as possible. Yeah. And, you, you know, it, it's really, for me, IV therapy is, you know, you need to be healthy, absolutely, in the back background. IV therapy for me as a doctor, I use it to get ahead. Um, when someone is behind, they're, they're having symptoms because they're inflamed, they're, they're having issues there. And oral supplementation might take me weeks and weeks to get to them, really working on their diet, exercise, uh, you know, really looking at their lifestyle. It could take weeks and weeks. What IV therapy allows me to do is just really clear some of that um, uh, inflammation, detoxify them a little bit faster, a little bit more effectively, so they feel better earlier, and then they can adopt those healthy lifestyle changes as we're going forward. It's like that hurdle, they jump that hurdle quicker than they would if I was just managing it with, with orally, and I think that's really where, where it has a, a key role. So it's, again, an adjunct to lots of other things, um, but it's a great tool to just get the patient ahead of the game a little bit quicker. Can I ask, uh, with your franchise model, I mean, how much control do you have over what a local clinic in Sydney is doing versus the one in LA? And I guess as a part of that question, who, who is going to these clinics? What sort of people and what, what are they complaining of? Yeah, sure. Um, so firstly, in terms of the, how do we control what the franchises do? Well, actually we have our, we, we have, we have a, a team big that work very, very, very hard um, to With make sure everyone behaves themselves. Um, well, actually it goes down to, they have to stay within the formulations for start. They're formulations are approved. And that's because if they don't, they're not laboratory tested. We can't protect them. They're not uh, operating it. So we have our laboratory certificates that say that this is, what it needs to be. And that, that keeps, you know, most uh, practitioners and doctors um, practicing within what we do. We have strict brand standards. We have onboarding visits. We have uh, an amazing training platform that 
is ongoing and he, uh, I, I'm really supportive in that sense as well. Uh, so we are quite uh, confident that you should get the same therapy if you're in the Revive Sydney Clinic, which is an express franchise, than you would in the London one. So, you know, we, we really work hard on that as a company. I think uh, who visits the clinic? Uh, usually very well-informed uh, people that have done a lot of research on their symptoms and conditions and really seen uh, how IV therapy can affect them. Uh, they are people that tend to have, uh, you know, they've been to the doctors, they've got no diagnosis, there's nothing there solid, you know, solid. And we can go down further with investigation. We have more time, obviously, in the private sector have more scope uh, and you know we can go down to the genetic level the blood surveillance level and really work out what is causing the symptom of low low mood or low energy or poor sleep so they're the people that don't accept that there's nothing wrong with them uh, that there's something there and also that they've you know read online they've looked at forums where ivy therapy have helped that help them and of course if you're in vegas you've got hangover describing <laughs> david you realize that don't you <laughs> well, yeah. Mr. Biohacking. <laughs> I was going to ask, getting back to your franchise question really quickly, because Jake sort of threw that one in there and I sort of wanted to ask. So I'll just come back to it for a second. Who are you selling these franchises to? Are they business people? Are they doctors, nurses? And then what, what's your sort of selection criteria? How are you sort of deciding who's the right person to own a Revive Clinic? Um, so, well, I don't make those decisions. Okay. <laughs> but they're. Obviously, the business guys of the company absolutely yeah. do. We have we have a fr- franchise head of franchise director, and yeah. you know uh, we do always. Uh, it's always medical professionals. So okay. even though the franchise might be sold to someone that's into business, they're very into sort of the medical sector and very interested in investing their money into that medical sector. And I think um, that we always have to, you know, we only operate uh, by a medical professionals. So. They would always have to have a medical director, a doctor prescribing the mm-hmm. treatments. They would always have to have qualified nurses or other medical professionals giving the treatments. Uh, so it's it, within the Revive, that's one of our strict um, sort of rulings. Uh, and I think over the years, we, we know we know the type of people that are really in. We, we want people that are really interested in it, really want to build it into the practice. And, um, you know, we... I know the company has a lot of franchise requests a day and they're not scared of turning some away if it's not the right partnership. You know, we we have to do this safely. We have a very good reputation to keep. David, I've done a quick Google. There's a clinic in Hurstville, so it's not that far. No, it's not. It's about 25 minutes in the car. Yeah, but it's in a medical center. It's, it's, uh, you know, GPs and and other people. So it's interesting. Have you got a discount code for me, Michael? (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll see what I can do. Um, unfortunately, it's a franchise, so I don't have any jurisdiction over this uh, Australian ones. But if you, uh, you know, if, uh, it's getting cold here in the UK, so uh, I might have to emigrate to Australia anyway. There you <laughs> one go. One day, so Absolutely. I'll come and open a clinic near you. We so. don't take COVID-ridden ponds, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I had COVID back in March. I'm all right for a bit. Really? So, tell us about that quickly. And, and how did you treat it? Were you on the IVs? Um, actually, I had. Uh, yeah, so um, I had. I, I was having IVs every week up until I got COVID, um, and I had a very, very mild COVID. I had it confirmed. I was one of the lucky ones to get a PCR confirmation uh, <laughs> back. You know, just before lockdown, really, mm. um, and. 
it wasn't so bad for me. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was, I've had worse colds mm-hmm. um, for sure. I was very tired. And actually the one thing that I did notice, I just had sort of a tight chest. I've never had that in my life um, uh, for probably a week or two afterwards, but I did hammer the IVs for yeah. uh, weekly during that time as well. You know, I honestly believe uh, that's why I had a mild illness, you know, I, but then, you know, was it the IVs or was it because I'm super, super healthy? I don't yeah. know. You know, I try and stay as or, healthy as... Uh, or was it because you thought the IVs were going to help? Was it? It could be. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I have no idea. But oh, we'll I'm never gonna, know. I'm going to throw something else in here. People like yourself, Michael and David, you guys are, you know, you're really on it. You, you care about your nutrition, you train, you're on IVs, you're thinking about your hormones. You know, how do you tease out you know what's working is really what i'm asking and and how are you saying that the ivs are the key well it's i'm not saying the ivs are the key that's for sure um i think they help uh for sure i'm i'm rubbish at detoxifying my genetic profile isn't that great actually i wasn't blessed with the best cards from nature uh so i have i do have to work hard you know if i if i don't look after myself i i get you know, um, symptoms and I don't want that. So I think it's, it is difficult. I can't say what, what's working and what isn't. I, I really work hard on that. And if I add something in, I don't notice a change. I used to, when I first started my revived journey, you know, my IV journey five years ago, I used to get a massive buzz of having an IV feeling really energetic. Now, you know, I take probably 20 different, um, supplements yeah. a day i have ivs very regularly yeah. i exercise i do light therapy i have massage you know i do everything i could possibly do yeah. and i don't i don't know what what i don't get any gains anymore but i do function at a very good level you know I'm, yeah i'm not i just function very well so well the opposite's true as well if you're morbidly obese and you're diabetic and you've got a crap diet and you smoke what is it that killed you was it the smoking or the diabetes you know <laughs> you just exactly i you, guess you can look at all of them you can look at all the sensible things to do and go, well, I know it's healthy to eat well. I know it's healthy to sleep well. I know that IVs have got enough evidence to show they give benefits. So I'm just going to do everything that I can. And hopefully <laughs> the combination exactly. of all those things is going to help. Well, I think we're on the same page, David, that we just, you know, just, just try it, <laughs> get it, get it in your uh, routine. And actually, you know, you don't have to do it regularly. I mentioned that I was having it every week at the time, but that's because uh, we were, we were trying to keep staff off from having COVID, you know, and it's it, it was a, a business decision. But actually, you know, once a month, once every six weeks, to have a really good detoxification. Or after you fly, you know, I fly all over the world with work, or I did do before COVID, and train other doctors. And you know, it's it's really um, it's a it's a taxing time flying, and so having an IV after that time is great. So it doesn't have to be done um, very very regularly. This can just be a you know, a, a big detox for you every so often throughout the year. It could be, uh, you know, and it, again, it's an adjunct to a really healthy lifestyle. And that's why, you know, I always operate IV therapy with other means, with blood surveillance, with genetics and things like that. Well, what are the main sort of, I know obviously Revive's got almost like a menu of, of um, you know, different branded um, IVs, but just talking generically, what, what is going in an IV? For someone who's never heard of this, what, what what does it look like? Yeah, so it's usually normal saline, which is a salt solution. So actually, water follows salt. So it's a good way of hydrating. Uh, obviously, it's going straight into your bloodstream as well. 
Um, and your typical IV tends to contain vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. So your key ones that tend to go in IVs that you see from uh, most companies are your B vitamins, so B-complex vitamins, mainly B12. Um, some of your other B vitamins tend to be in there, depends on the, the B-complex that's sourced. Uh, vitamin C is your probably your most popular, the one that you'll find most, and at high doses as well. Um, there's lots of uh, evidence that you know giving high dose vitamin C bypassing the gut uh, does in, it, you know massively increase intracellular concentrations of vitamin C within immune cells, and we know how it uh, you know it's a powerful antioxidant. Uh, it's a modulator of immune responses. Uh, it improves your collagen. You know it's essential for collagen. So vitamin C is a you know, one of the most important ingredients in an IV. You find, I'd be very surprised if people don't use vitamin C. They, um, with the vitamin C as well, it tends to be the most well-established from the science point of view. You know, the, the science is quite old um, from a vitamin C point of view. It's, it, it, um, 1950s, it was really looked into uh, for its properties. Um and there's always been a hot topic since. You may get uh, minerals in like zinc and selenium and things like that. Uh, you know, it depends uh, um, on the country of what's available as well, of course. Of course yeah. uh, and then antioxidants. So glutathione is probably uh, the most well-known. It's body's master antioxidant or it's named body's master antioxidant because it's in every cell. It's, you know, an archaic way of detoxifying uh, very, very important for cellular function and detoxification. Um, and you taking it orally is a little bit challenging because it's a small peptide chain and gets uh, broken down easily. So giving it intramuscularly or intravenously uh, is quite a, um, a popular thing to do, uh, particularly in Asian countries and countries where there's skin whitening that is um, desirable. Um, glutathione actually inhibits uh, melanin production in the skin. Oh, really? We don't actually do it at uh, Revive uh, for that reason. We're obviously doing it from health reason, but from from a hyperpigmentation point of view, from a, uh, people that want the skin whitening, it's a very popular, well-known uh, ingredient uh, or in, in skincare, in, in IV therapy, and it's, it's a very, um, people seek it out. They Google it a lot for that reason. Yeah. And what about the Myers cocktail? And who was Dr. John Myers? that's the one I've had that one before and I don't even know what it does to be honest with you. I just said, oh, that sounds good. I'll give it a go. <laughs> yeah. You're going to follow it up after my vitamin C. I'll, I'll take that too. So yeah, Myers cocktail is pretty much what I've just described. It's, <laughs> it's vitamin C, B vitamins, some minerals. Okay. And it's been around for a long time. And actually it's probably the, the, the mother of all IV infusions. Uh, Dr. Myers found this cocktail. It became very popular within celebrity circles, which is why it's got such a popular name. And people have, sort of done their own derivatives of it um you know it's it it seemed to work and uh it was quite simple to follow uh so he was a u.s doctor um and his you know his name is forever um you know within the ivy industry as, as sort of the, the the founder of more um of the sort of vitamin infusion i suppose yeah it's a vitamin yeah. infusion Actually, I had it after my NAD infusion. I know we're not talking about NAD today, but that's when I had the Myers. I had it after that. They followed it up with that thing. So, yeah. How did you feel after your NAD infusion, David? Because you're uh, like me. So, you, to, to sort of pinpoint what makes you feel good is hard. Ooh, but did you it just feel felt, anything? Um, felt like, in a, like almost like an adrenaline rush. Like during yeah. I felt like quite hot, bit of pressure on my chest, like a bit of like 
I don't know, like I was trying to get out of my body kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. Really hard yeah. to explain. Um, but yeah, I felt great. I've for had that a, once yeah. before. Yeah. I have had that once before with uh, glutathione when glutathione is given too fast. Yes. Um, you know, it's it can make you feel a little bit similar actually. Yeah. Uh, I felt a bit like a bit like that when I paid the bill as well because it's very expensive. <laughs> it's something it was about like eight or nine hundred dollars or something like that. It was like ridiculous how much it was and I think it you know, because people aren't doing it widespread, it can be um, you know, r- riled there from a financial point of view. But with NAD, um, it's very, very exciting. Uh, and we're starting to see NAD being used in IV therapy a lot more, you know, probably yeah. in the last year or so. Yeah. I think um, uh, our teams are still doing the R&D and still looking into it at the moment yeah. as to, uh, I, I want a little bit more data personally, yeah. um, just to check. Yeah, we won't spend too much time talking about NAD because we weren't going to, but since we sort of spoke about it a little bit, you might as well just quickly explain to people what it is because they're just going, what's this NAD, NAD thing? <laughs> NAD is a, a derivative of a B vitamin, uh, B3 actually, called nicotinamide adenine uh, dinucleotide. Ooh, um, well done. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and it's basically, um, you know, being associated, it, it's very we need it to make energy in our cells. It's very associated with stress resistance and uh, it's being shown to produce uh, increased lifespan in, in yeast and in other animals and mammals. Uh, and now people are looking at it uh, very closely in terms of uh, humans as well. Um, and IV it seems to be one of the best ways to go. Uh, it has its more, more of a history clinically in um, alcohol uh, abuse and detoxification and things like that and it, it seems to work quite well there uh, and now people are looking at, at it from a wellness longevity regenerative side of it i think uh, i was listening to um a podcast actually um recently and there was a specialist on there who was they were the this topic was about nad and, and very uh very in depth about it and it, the, the positives about it. But then in terms of the actual therapy and, and supplementing with it, mm. there was a query, big question mark, does it cause inflammation? And I know mm. there's some uh, controversies there that if you have cancer already, some of the chemotherapies are anti-NAD because they can re- make the cancers resistant. So, you know, there's, there's a little bit more tidying up to do, I think, before IV yeah. NAD. Uh, becomes more mainstream you know it's it we've got a lot more safety data a lot more practice with vitamins at the moment but nad could be you know vitamins times 10 in terms of prevention we just need to make sure that it's not going to massively uh damage so i think the the um the verdict's still uh yes or no i don't, I don't know yet personally uh with nad can i ask michael um I normally put out a sort of an opportunity for guests to ask questions on through our Instagram. And someone was asking about, um, you know, IV iron and magnesium. And I know those are sort of more dangerous, you know, uh, supplements that you would do. And and often they would be done in a hospital setting, but how do you choose, you know, what is appropriate in in just a sort of a a high street clinic and what's, and what's not. Um, just basically on, um, Good practice. So, yeah, absolutely. Iron infusions, you need monitoring, you need bloods before and after. Um, magnesium is probably your safest one if you do a, a, you know, if you're not going high doses. And don't forget, you know, um, with magnesium, it's a great example in the hospital as a doctor. If you're giving someone magnesium, it's usually because they've got a severe asthma attack or severe respiratory dis- 
distress and their electrolytes are all over the place. So you've got to monitor them. If you're fit and healthy and giving someone magnesium and obviously IV clinics really screen their patients, then actually it's a lot lot more well tolerated, a lot less uh, dangerous. Like I said, you know, it's all about that laboratory testing, uh, really having vigorous screenings in place to make sure people are safe. But there are there are ingredients, calcium, um, iron, that are more specialists. I, you know, I personally don't work with them. I personally think iron is a little bit aging, so I only like to, you know, recommend iron if you're iron deficient, uh, uh, you know, rather than actually just building up iron, even though you've got good iron stores. So. I do. I do think um, there is there is some sort of uh, safety uh, areas of concern that people just throw a bit of this and then a bit of that, that in, and uh, you know people should be monitored with certain ones. And I think you know we won't aim to do those necessarily outside of our remit as well. You know, if it's if it's not going to be safe, then they need to be in a hospital. It needs to be managed differently. Uh, it probably fits more into conventional models usually as well. So they don't necessarily need to seek out other practitioners for it. Mm. And, what, and what are the main type of people? I know Jake said, well, the type of people that are coming through your clinics, but in terms of like ailments or illnesses, is it people just looking to feel better? Is it just people with hangovers? Are you treating people with like other conditions as well? Maybe like arthritis or yeah. Like what are people trying to achieve? Yep. So um, we, we have the whole spectrum. So we've got people with diseases like Crohn's disease, MS, multiple sclerosis, eczema, psoriasis, you know, skin disorders, acne and hyperpigmentation disorders. We have people with type 2, diabetic, uh, type two diabetes, thyroid disease. Um, you know, we get so, you know, a huge remit, high cholesterol. There's so many different things. And, you know, the, when you really look at someone's nutritional deficiencies genetically or uh, even sort of just read their symptoms, if they've got a disease, there's probably some sort of nutritional deficiency going on. If you can correct that and you do it in a fast and effective way, you tend to really get improvement. So, you know, I've just had a, a lady with type 2 diabetes who is very, very poorly controlled, um, you know, lovely lady, but she's poorly controlled with it. And we did a course of six IVs, mainly concentrated on glutathione, actually, with a little bit of vitamin C. So nice and straightforward with a little bit of B12 initially in, in, in the case. And um, it got her HbA1c uh, down by 20. So How is that working? Why? I don't understand. Purely <laughs> because of the antioxidant effect. Um, you know, of course, we gave lifestyle advice over the six weeks as well, and that would have helped, uh, you know, in terms of that. But I don't think we would have got such a massive drop in HbA1c, and I genuinely think it was, um, you know, detoxification from antioxidants. But and you know, without doing uh, really in-depth blood work and really looking into, it, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just what happened. Yeah. So. It's so funny because I wish everyone could actually. We are going to publish all this one day, Jake, right? Because I, would, it's so, I know Jake's face when someone says something that he's like, I don't believe that, or I want to know more. He does this little squinty things with his eyes. I can know. I just see the face. I know it's coming. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, no. So, how does that actually do that? I want to know. Like, <laughs> no, no. Genuinely, it's not like I believe you, Michael. It's, it's no, no. Like, it's, like, it's like, wow, that's, that's impressive stuff. Like, how did it work? It's not, I don't believe you. 
understanding the differences. I think just when you when you give your body a break from the attack that you're giving it, you reduce inflammation there, it can function normally. And uh, perhaps it was, um, you know, we, we even tested it six weeks for allow to allow it for, for the response as well. You know, um, I think we'll never exactly know. Was it a blip? Did it go back as soon as it stopped? Yeah. That's unknown just yet. Um, but it's, it's promising. It's exciting. And it, there's, there's potential there. And I think that's, that's what the point I'm trying to make. You know, I've, I've managed to reverse um, eczema where it was, so I, I think I shared the case with you uh, in the past, yeah, yeah. but it literally, um, you know, she had horrendous, horrendous eczema. Two dermatologists, just um, steroid creams, antibiotics constantly. She couldn't sleep. Uh, she was 21. She couldn't sleep one night in the week. You know, she was itching that much. And no one could get on top of it. And literally... With just six IVs, twelve, you know, across the twelve-week period, because I went for sort of two skin cycles of high-dose vitamin C, B vitamins, and some glutathione, it reversed it, and it reversed it so much that she actually never had another IV because she got pregnant again afterwards. Uh, she got pregnant afterwards, and um, all she got, all that came back, was a little patch during the labour. Um, there was nothing else there, and even now, it's not come back. So, I think it's that. You know, she'd already adopted healthy lifestyle changes like quitting out dairy and all the usual stuff that some people suggest. But she was always one step behind. And I think IV therapy allowed her to get a step in front instead. So all her positive lifestyle changes were then able to be positive lifestyle changes rather than catch up against inflammation. Yeah, I remember um, this is going back a long, long, long time because I was a surgeon for as, you know, even from a baby doctor, I wanted to do surgery. But I remember learning about obviously diabetes and autoimmune disease and eczema and all these things. And the fundamental thing is it's inflammation. And I know as a functional doctor, you know, your, your mantra is treat the cause, not the symptoms. So maybe, you know, like what you're saying, that, that you're working on the cause. Somehow you're dampening down the body's immune response by taking down inflammation with the antioxidants. And, and that, uh, that is the, as simple as that. Yeah, that, that's the underlying premise, I suppose. Uh, you know, and once you, you start, I know we're not talking about genetics, but when you start looking at how a body's built and what functions well and what doesn't, you can really you know biohack it you can help it along its way to to promote the strengths and and disguise the weaknesses a little bit as well and you know with autoimmunity it's the immune system's confused it's attacking itself and you know it's very common it's growing in you know it's it's growing in incidence as well and across the board and i think a lot of it is down to nutrition as well you know it's we're not the first uh, people in society to say you know nutrition is our medicine and uh, yeah, food is medicine and medicine is food. So, you know, it goes back centuries, uh, millennia, I think, actually. So, there is, how do I put this in a delicate way? There are a lot of companies like the IV companies who sort of brand things as weight loss IV and, um, you know, recovery IV and anti jet lag IV. I mean, how do you? Yeah, how do you respond? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it seems uh, a bit sort of um, simple. Yeah, it's a good question, and um, I think there's there's two parts to that. So you'll get companies that have a huge list of, you know, a fertility IV, a, yeah, fertility, um, you know, yeah. jet lag, and basically it'll probably be the same IV. 
or not, not very different at all. Our company's approach was to do a small menu and, and sort of fit people into those and mm. obviously build personalized ones based on genetics as well. But I think um, I think the reason is because it is a hard industry and the regulations are so gray. So you kind of have to, in some countries, you can't say you're treating disease and disorder. In some countries, you have to say you're treating disease and disorder, um, you know, and you've got to get people through the door as well. So it, there is... There is a fine balance in that. You've got to build the industry, but also do it in a professional way. And I think sometimes it's just that um, shop front that's very colourful, very exciting, very sexy. Um, and then once you're in, you get very clinical, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. very uh, you know to the point. Let's get on top of your health. Mm. I think that that that's where the industry's at at the moment. And I think it, it's going to take some time to to allow um, it to be a little bit different. Mm. Um, and you know. I hope that we're paving the way um, and, and I'm part of that journey to make it, you know, a more accepted thing. You know, in the UK here, we have um, an external auditor that audits the uh, NHS called the CQC and we're, we've approached them and made, made them, uh, you know, uh, regulate us, um, even though they sort of said not, not uh, they weren't going to originally. And I think, you know, that in itself is a good step forward. Working with the regulatory bodies across the world is a good step forward to say, listen, we're, we're going to be very open and honest with you. This is what we do. Come and inspect us. Um, and then that in turn allows regulation to become a little bit more black and white. That in turn allows better better ways of advertising, um, you know, uh, because there's a lot of laws around what you can and can't say in many, many countries. So mm. I think that's why you do see some of it. But certainly some cowboy companies out there i like to call them you know they'll have a, a huge menu with lots of fancy names lots of um claims and i think you know under basically behind most of it will be one infusion they're just charging different prices uh, for different things wow That's, yeah in terms of the patient journey what does that look like so someone calls up revive and says i want to get an infusion how does it work in terms of they need to do some pre-screening do they need to do any blood work or is it just come in and Away you go. Yeah, so um, there's several different ways it could happen, but um, there's always a consultation with a medical professional because we need to establish um, what the goal is. Is it is it to get rid of a symptom? Is it to improve your energy? Really look at past medical history. In fact, there is a very very robust screening uh, pathway. And if if you're still going, you know everything's fine that way, and it's appropriate therapy, then you'll come in. Uh, you'll have observations and examination to again make sure that you're uh, acceptable to take a liter of fluid or you know however much volume uh, you're going to have on that day uh, and then also at the same time we've got um the sort of im injections as well so if if it's not an option to do it one way we've got other other means of doing it and um, usually and ideally uh, during the consultation we'll really work with the goals and what the outcome is in the past medical history and it might be that we to build that protocol, to build that treatment protocol, we will do genetics, we will do bloods. Um, but a lot of people don't need bloods necessarily. We can go off symptom management. These are safe, water-soluble vitamins uh, on the most part. So as long as they have no contraindications, their medical history is well, there's a good goal and a good um, indication, then, uh, then we go forward with the treatment plan. But yeah, it's always consultation, um, and always observations like vital signs, uh, blood pressure, etc., examination, and obviously a very strict, um, uh, robust screening questionnaire. 
just to make sure that they're safe. Uh, in terms of the actual treatment, I mean, most people have seen, you know, someone stuck to a cannula in a hospital. Is it basically yeah. the same thing? It is. Uh, so you get your, uh, you have your cannula put in, and it's a little bit nicer uh, in my experience than having one in a hospital. First of all, it's not in the, um, you know, we tend to try to avoid the back of the hands where it's quite painful and bruises easily. Uh, we go in the bigger vessels, um, and you know cold spray you get free spray it's all very nice calming relaxed experience with very very good you know you've not got a junior doctor there just having a having a good stab and hoping for the best um <laughs> you know uh, not that all junior doctors are bad i wasn't so bad as a junior doctor but there you go um and you know it it's a very nice relaxed um calming experience uh, you know at you know, it shouldn't hurt. It should not hurt. There's a little bit of uncomfortable as it goes in, but it should not hurt. And the needle comes out. It's just a little tube that stays in there. Your infusion goes in and then it comes out. And while you're having your infusion, you sat there uh, with your iPad or sitting watching telly um, or just re relaxing in a, in a private room, whatever your preference is, because we want it to be a nice, relaxing experience for you. People, you know, are supposed to feel relaxed when they have it. I'm going to share a secret story here. <laughs> when uh, the lockdown <laughs> struck here in Australia, and I was actually really sick, we're, we've not proven COVID, but it, it certainly felt like it. I'd never been as sick in my life. Um, David heroically <laughs> went and got some IV kit, and he came around. He was all masked up and gloved up and <laughs> everything, and he heroically managed to get an IV in me with me coaching him through it. and. Uh, I felt better. I felt good because I, I was so dehydrated. I, I had, um, yeah. you know, I had raging temperatures. I wasn't eating at all. I just completely lost my appetite for a couple of weeks. I lost eight kilos. Um, and so, David, you're, you're my hero. And uh, IVs work. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> we, 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 we won't say we got it in the first time. There was, uh, there was a bit of blood. He might have had a, he may have to have changed a few uh, bed linen and so on. But, um, yeah, we got there. That's that's the main thing, and I think you know, it just brings on a good point actually that IV therapy. You know, if you go to hospital, it's it's one of the first tools you'll get in an emergency room, and you know, fine, you're acutely unwell there, but it doesn't mean that that won't help with um, more chronic issues and symptoms. So it, it you know, it's tried and tested. You, you don't have uh, sometimes all the screening questionnaire and everything when you go to A and E. You just get whacked up a litre of fluid regardless of who you are uh, you're in a better environment for monitoring of course um but you know it's it, it is a safe safe thing to do and when it's done safe and um appropriately it's it's a good good um adjunct to someone's medical care can i ask michael and i don't want to verge on the other stuff that you do because we're definitely going to do another podcast with you but am i right in saying revive are going to do some blood tests for specific protocols or is that not iv um so blood tests we revive are uh, doing going to be doing blood testing um actually uh, going forward and that's to build on uh, our um surveillance sort of strategy so when someone has their genetics done we want to offer their chance to have um you know a snapshot uh, for that individual particularly around nutritional uh, deficiencies because that's what we deal with that's our bread and butter so uh, obviously, that will help guide. Again, it's all about just making treatment protocols even more um, appropriate. So, you know, once we've done genetics, we're list, you know we're monitoring symptoms, we're getting vital signs. 
when we have blood tests on top of that as well, um, we really can, um, you know, Ryan <laughs> uh, Cat. Sorry, <laughs> it's been uh, happening. Uh, we really, yeah, he's just been driving me <laughs> mental. He's sorry. <laughs> sorry about joys that. of being at home, anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. So we we really, um, you know, we really think blood testing getting that snapshot is the next step to really getting into that um, personalized nutritional solution treatment protocol and refinement, I suppose. Mm. And how long does the treatment actually take? How long are people there for? We're talking, you mentioned iPads and TVs. I'm, this sounds like a long haul. Are, you, are um, they there for hours? Or? No, it's not as long as your nads. Uh, right. You should, for sure. <laughs> um, it, dep- it depends on who you are, but if you're fit and well and can tolerate a litre, we, we run it through relatively fast. So half an hour on average tends right. to be per liter sometimes it needs to go a bit slower sometimes um you're if you're very dehydrated and you've got a big vessel it'll go very quickly you know i can take a liter in 20 minutes if i wanted um you know it's it's just uh it just depends on the situation but usually on average half an hour so it's people can come in in the lunch break uh, certainly with im injections they can come in and out within 10 minutes so are some fast options and then when they finish up and go home, is it? I mean, what are the sort of instructions, or does it depend on the infusion? Yeah. So actually, um, the aftercare instructions aren't too bad. It's about um, not promoting bruising at the site of the cannulation. Really, uh, you should, um, you know, shouldn't do too much in the way of strenuous exercise. You're trying to detoxify your body and not add to it at that time in the rest of the day, but. You know, otherwise it's really well tolerated. So you can get on with the day usually uh, quite easily. Um, and, you know, we get some people that, like I said, like me, at the beginning of my revived journey five years ago when I started having IVs, I'd jump out of the clinic feeling amazing. Uh, but I wasn't quite as healthy as they are now. Nowadays, I don't feel very much at all. I uh, sometimes can taste the B vitamins. Uh, I do get a little bit of an energy boost when I need it. Um, but actually, I just I'm just happy that it's doing some detoxification. And then there's some people, uh, very rarely, and but occasionally uh, can happen, is that you have an IV the first time you have it, and you actually it brings out something. So it brings out an infection, or you get that you know cold, flu-like symptoms, and that can be um, two things. It could be that you had an underlying infection, and uh, there's, the immune system's got some armory, and therefore you you start. Uh, producing symptoms a little bit sooner um or um you know that you're having a massive detox because you needed it and it, it just, I suppose it depends on your snapshot of health at the time and um, it can happen but not not regularly but in that instance and that's why we're doctor led that's why we're medical professional in that instance we would suggest having another one uh, and usually I've not come across anyone that ha- actually has the same negative effect the second time around and I think it is just that um that level of detoxification that can occur or an underlying infection. Now for due diligence, we will need to ask the bad things that can happen. Are there any reactions or side effects or, you know, apart from bruising, obviously? Yeah, it's an important thing to cover. Um, obviously it's intravenous therapy. So, you know, your chance of allergic reactions, chance of uh, vasovagal, so fainting <laughs> is a lot higher. Um, there is, you know, we're going a bit more extreme than an oral uh, route. And so we have to be careful. Now, I've never seen an anaphylaxis within my company and across the board. So that is wonderful. We always have an anaphylaxis kit on. There is always a chance it could be 
allergic to an ingredient. But because they're vitamins and antioxidants, it tends to be a little bit rarer than medications, uh, certainly sort of antibiotics and things like that. So, but there are, you can get other reactions. We, I mentioned to David before, you know, when I've had glutathione too fast and it was too fast and that, that was my fault because I was insisting on it being too fast. You know, I felt that adrenaline rush. I got, you know, a little bit sort of, uh, digested and a little niggle in my head, you know, perfectly safe. Um, but, uh, and my observations were all normal and everything like that. But, you know, you can experience stuff when it's done a little bit, you know, in the wrong way. And that's why, you know, um, having very strict protocols about how to do things is really important. Uh, of course, some people do experience um, rashes and swelling and things like that. Again, I've not seen anything severe with Revive. I've seen a little bit um, of uh, swelling before, whether that was fluid overload or uh, a mild reaction. Unsure. Um it can happen. It can happen with any sort of therapy. So it's it's just one of those things. I think, you know, because we laboratory test, because we have strict protocols, we're, we're good. I remember when I was a first-year doctor, I was on an oncology ward, and someone's cannula moved or slipped, and so they got what's called an extravasation for people listening, yeah. where the, the chemo went into their tissue rather than their vein. Is that a potential issue, you know, in, in a sort of a, a nice fancy clinic, someone's watching their iPad, they move their arm and they get vitamin B in their arm or, or, or yeah. I don't know, is that a problem? There is always, you know, extravasation is always an absolute um, potential. Uh, we tend to, because we're going quite quickly uh, with the infusion there, they're not there for too long. We don't have to, <laughs> you know, uh, they're not moving around like, for for hours and um, so it tends to be limited but also we, we don't forget we've got our medical pressures on there we don't just leave you in a room uh we're always checking and you'd see the flow rate change and yeah. also um we do you know we do advise patients to keep an eye on the site and if there's any pain or anything just let, let us know as well um we take very very strong precautions on flushing and making sure it's in sight um got a lot of tick boxes to do there when you're actually inserted the cannula so there are a lot of checks in place to make sure that those things don't happen and uh, with your vitamins um and particularly glutathione if it is going in the skin it stings so usually we know about it i just realized i said vitamin i've gone australian yeah, yeah. You were going to ask a question about cancer, Jake, because you you just mentioned that you were asking about, I think some of the questions I saw you, you put down was in relation to claims being made about cancer treatments and so on. Is that, was that right? What you were... Yeah. Um, you know, this is, I don't know if it's evidence-based at all, but I'll ask you, Michael, uh, there are proponents in the functional medical world or naturopathy world who say high-dose IV vitamin C or vitamin C can um, sort of help with <laughs> cancer. And, and I can't tell you what type of cancer. I can't tell you doses. Is there any anecdotal evidence for that? Yeah, so it go, goes back to the 1950s research done by Linus Pauling, actually, um, who was sort of the father of vitamin C. He found that vitamin C within a cancer cell actually turns to hydrogen peroxide, so it kind of gets in like a Trojan horse and turns into hydrogen peroxide and then destroys the cancer cell. Um, but for you to be able to do that, though, you would have to keep a concentration of vitamin C in the blood very, very high at all times. Now, there are clinics around the world and there's thousands and thousands of case studies where there's terminal people with cancer that had these high-dose vitamin C infusions 
and they're still alive or the you know symptoms are massively reduced or they got twice as long as as what was predicted for them now there's lots of debate around these things and you could really nitpick each case study and really um you know break it apart but i think the fact that there's so many volumes of them and so many places around the world that are doing it is is interesting yeah. uh, and i think it shouldn't be ignored and um, we we don't uh, i don't use it to treat cancer i, I mean i give cancer people drips to help them uh, regain strength after chemotherapy and you know it can really deplete chemotherapy for example can really deplete your glutathione levels and so you know giving giving infusions just for wellness is is quite a, an important thing sometimes for people but you know we don't do these high dose protocols that aim to treat cancer uh, again because there is evidence that i've seen it i can see the case studies and I, you know there's hospitals around the world that have protocols that are online and, and, and very um very sort of open there to, to other doctors and uh, you know i think there is something in there um but i think there's also i don't i don't know it's not being built into mainstream yet is that because it, you know you don't make money on vitamin c who knows uh, you know it's, it's a controversial <laughs> subject would you spend 100 million on a trial for vitamin c and cancer to make pence rather than you know multi-million dollars that's the controversy that people are out there are saying I think there's definitely something in it that the sort of physiological science is there and well established. Uh, I don't think it's harmful. It can only be beneficial. The protocols that I see are, we're talking uh, starting at 15 grams, working right up to 50, 75 grams, three times a week to keep that concentration in the blood so high. Um, so they are huge mega doses and you would probably mm. have to check G6PD deficiency and all these different things to make sure that it was safe enough to give. And I know full well that uh, the, the hospitals that are doing it are constantly monitoring blood levels. So you almost have to be an inpatient or at least someone very close to the hospital. Is there any danger of, you know, high dose vitamins? I want to go back to Australia now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, water soluble, probably not. Um, too bad because because they're water soluble we treat them easily fat soluble vitamins like vitamin d absolutely can get toxic a lot easier on them although you still need huge huge doses probably to get to that point i think any you know if you've got um you know if you've got these vitamins your liver does have to process them still so if you've already got um an inflamed uh, tired liver and kidneys then absolutely adding huge doses of something unnecessarily might cause problems and that's why you know you've got to screen for these things um when when you're thinking about iv therapy um, i think certainly the doses we use aren't, aren't huge high like we've just been talking about there but they are um they are relatively high the b vitamins are pretty standard and you know we go off uh safety data really what what's 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 given in hospitals how, how things are managed and we usually use protocols that are already well established within the industry in terms of cost, what are people, I mean, I don't know. I know doctors don't like talking about price. So if you don't feel comfortable, <laughs> we'll direct someone no, to your okay. website. But roughly, what are people looking at for these types of treatments? So uh, it depends really what you're having. Um, the IM injections start in the UK. I'll give you the UK prices that we operate, £29 right up to uh, sort of £59. And then an IV can cost uh, anything from £99 right up to uh, 400 500 pounds depending on the company um 
and the personalization and the process. And um, so, you know, there's, there's usually a quite a, um, a real sort of um, range. Uh, there's usually something for everyone uh, that within someone's price range. But again, you know, this is, this is uh, one of my bugbears that I operate in the private sector. I work in a, a country that has, you know, a free health service. I would love one day to be able to collect enough data to go to uh, my local CCG who, who deal out the funding and say, listen, if we, if you make this part of the plan, that's great. And, and same with genetics. I really would love that to be uh, well established within conventional medicine, you know, as a preventative um, modality, because we don't have much option otherwise, um, you know, the, the NHS is struggling. Yeah. Well, we've been talking for about an hour and 15 minutes, and I feel like, as I said um, a bit earlier, we feel like I could talk to you for a lot longer, so we'll have to get you back for a second episode because we certainly want to cover the genetic side of things, which we just didn't have time for today. But thank you so much for your time. Like, I really appreciate it. I know Jake does too. How do people get in contact with you, or how do they find um, Revive online? Tell us all the contact details. Yeah, so if you want more information about Revive online, it's www.reviveme.com. But Revive does not have the E on the end, so it's a play on the IV, obviously, there. So R-E-V-I-V-M-E.com. And then um, in terms of getting in touch with me, uh, I have social media, um, uh, I suppose what you call them, social media platforms uh, on Instagram at, at Dr. Barnish, Dr. Barnish. Um, or um, I'm Dr. Michael Barge on Facebook. Um, I don't personally have my own website. It's too much for me to work on at the moment. I'm, I'm a busy man. So, uh, you know, best channels are to get uh, get me through those or maybe even through the Revive website. You know, um, it will come through to me eventually if it's medical. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for your time. I know it took us um, a bit of time to get around to this with COVID and you moving house and me moving house and everything else. <laughs> but uh, I wish you luck with everything. And we'll get you back for a second episode um, at some point in the future on genetics and bio-identical hormones. Yeah, I mean, it'd be my pleasure to come back. And thanks for having me on and uh, having a really good chat about IV therapy. Uh, it's very important that these things are, are shared, I think. Absolutely. Well, thanks for your time again and keep safe. Yep, you too, guys. See you, Michael. Bye. Bye-bye. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.